Good morning. Lovely to see you all. Um, looking forward to seeing what teddies you all bring next week. I'm going into the garage to get mine out of a box, hopefully. Um, for next week, it'll be so lovely to be in our new venue next week. So if they cut you down, right down the middle, what would they find? After a week in Waterford, they would find some of the finest laminated pastries that I have ever tasted um, from a wee shop in Dungarvan. Um, but what are the values that run through your entire life that end up in everything you do? You know, some of mine would be honesty, justice, not turning up to someone's house empty-handed, but I'm not sure if that's a value or something my mother beat into me. Um, and we have been talking about um, the values of our church, our guiding principles, the way we behave as we do the things we do. And today we're going to be looking at our last one of compassion. And um, our compassion statement says this, as we experience God's love for ourselves, we can't help but give it away to others. We long to care for those who are broken, hurting, poor, or far away from God in Carrick, Fergus, and overseas. We aim to show God's mercy and see him change our community one life at a time. And in vineyard and church circles, we generally use the term compassion to mean our ministry to those experiencing poverty, um, struggle, and hardship. We sort of tend to refer to compassion projects, um, but I believe that compassion is not a separate project or ministry over there that a few people do. Um, compassion is our value. It runs right through us. It's a guiding principle. Um, it's, um, it should cut through everything that we do. And that's because there is a core of compassion that runs through all of us that can't be separated out or sanctioned off. Actually, physically, God has hardwired each person to be compassionate. And I've shared this before about the vagus nerve, and I've got it up here on the screen. Um, Nathan said today, are we doing some biology? And I was like, no, I did single word science, so don't get your hopes up. Um, so the vagus nerve starts in our brain brainstem and wanders throughout our bodies, activating the heart, lungs, liver, and digestive organs. And that's what the word vagus means, wandering in Latin. And it touches every part of us. And, um, and it plays a really important role in helping us to be compassionate. And one neuroscience, neuroscientist has called it the nerve of compassion. And they've found that people whose vagus nerve is more active are more prone to emotions that promote compassion, kindness, and love. And the more compassionate we are, the more active this nerve gets and the more compassionate we become. Well, that's my understanding anyway. And I listened to a podcast recently that was talking about the current research on the vagus nerve and how they're trialing implanting these devices that will stimulate the nerve and just to see the effect on people's anxiety levels and our concentration and inflammation. But I believe we don't need a device to help us activate our compassionate core. As I said, we're designed to be compassionate. And I love that principle that the more compassion um, we demonstrate, the more compassion we are likely to, or more compassionate we are likely to become.
There is a centuries-old practice that will help us activate our compassion, and you already know it, particularly if you're a watcher of Poirot on ITV2. Anybody want to admit to that? Oh, we're a big fan in the Crosby household. Um, and you pay attention to the adverts. You know what I mean? The sad music. A video in black and white with a donkey, emaciated and limping. A voiceover. This is no life for any animal. It is not the way it should be. Then the picture turns to colour and a kind person appears and brings them to a beautiful new home with a green field. You can help make this possible for just two pounds a month. And Dave's sitting, his phone in the hand, ready to give. But the donkeys, Kate! And I'm shouting from the kitchen, don't give the donkeys our money. When we see the wee donkeys, when we understand their lives, um, um, then we'll really want to look after them. We are moved to look after them, to act compassionately. And we're going to look at this ancient practice today in Luke 7, verse 11 to 17. So if you want to turn to your Bibles or swipe through your phone, we're going to be reading um, Luke 7, verse, from verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Then the Lord saw her. His heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has um, risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. The woman's compassionate encounter with Jesus began when he saw her. When the Lord saw her, it says in verse 13, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. And the Presbyterian in me was extremely pleased that in one of the Bible concordances I looked at for this verse, it had three definitions in, of the Greek word for saw in this passage, three definitions, which means three points. This is where we're going, people. So the word to saw means uh, uh, that he saw, it's, it means to see with your eyes, to perceive, to understand. And the third one is to see, to attend to, or to look after, to take care of. And we see in this passage that Jesus saw with his actual eyes in his head. And then he understood the widow's situation. And then he acted, he looked after her. We live in such a busy and distracted culture with lots going on around us. Advertisers trying to get our attention as we drive along the road. There's always background noise. Someone is always asking for a snack, and that's just Dave. Um, and then there is also what's going on um, around in our own heads. The tasks we need to do at work, at home, at church. We multitask on multi-screens. 
And I had recently read some research that found that 43% of people they had surveyed admitted to walking into something whilst using their phone. Anyone want to admit to it? No one? Oh, I head all down, pretend it hasn't happened to them. There's a lot going on, and it's easy not to see things. And in this passage in Luke, there was a lot going on in Nain. Jesus was being followed by his disciples and a large crowd. And as they entered the village, they were um, as they entered the village, they were met with likely the entire village in the middle of this funeral procession. It would have been understandable for Jesus to be distracted by all that was going on around him. But Luke writes in verse 13, when the Lord saw her. In the middle of a crowd of people, no doubt demanding his attention, he saw this widow and her tears. Jesus saw her, and when he saw her, um, Luke tells us his heart overflowed with compassion. To activate our compassionate core, we need to see with our eyes, our actual eyes. We need to look around, look over the fence, at, at, look around at the school gate, around the office, look people in the eye. We need to be actually looking around. Who doesn't love a bit of people watching? And God wants us to see with our eyes because God himself is a God who sees. No one is invisible to him. No one is beyond his notice. The first person to give God a name in the Bible was a pregnant slave girl called Hagar. And you can read about her in Genesis 16. In her world, she was a nobody. She had no say even over her own body. She was used to give her master and mistress, um, Abraham and Sarai, a baby. She was not treated as a person, but as a way to get them something they wanted. She was just a womb to give them a child. And when she fell pregnant, instead of being treated with compassion, she was treated harshly by her her mistress. So she runs away, and in the middle of the desert, she runs into God and his compassion. Where she had been invisible, she becomes visible. She is seen by God, and this inspires her to give God the name, the God who sees me. God is a God of seeing. And I believe that he wants us, he wants to use us to show each other and all we come into contact with that they are not invisible, that they are seen by their Father in heaven, that he cares for them and has compassion for them. And the truth is there are so many people who feel invisible, who believe they don't matter, that they are nothing. And Christine Pohl, in her fantastic book, Making Room, says many persons who are not valued by the larger community are essentially invisible to it. So how can we be a community that sees and values every person as God does? And I believe it starts with opening our eyes, looking around. You know that parent at the school gate who the other parents roll their eyes at? The neighbour who other neighbours mutter about? The work colleague who everyone gossips about in the tea break room? Who is God helping you to see? And when we talk about compassion, we tend to focus on those outside of the four walls of the church. And as I was preparing this, I sensed that God wanted to remind us that sometimes because we're looking outside, we can miss those right under our noses. 
Everyone has, I'm sure, heard the phrase, charity begins at home. And famous sayings like this mostly come from the Bible or Shakespeare, but this is neither. This is one just for Johnny Norton to put in his quiz um, uh, <laughs> table quiz pocket. It's a play by John Marston, first published in the 17th century. True charity beginneth first at home. Here in your bosoms dwell, you dear loved hearts. Uh, but it is close to something written uh, by Paul to Timothy. First Timothy 5 verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Strong words from Paul, but highlighting our obligation to those closest to us. And Christine Paul suggests in her book that we now have lots of exposure to needs in distant lands, but, being, but can be quite isolated from what's going on around us. And I believe that God also wants us to see who around us needs to experience his compassion in our families, both natural and our church family. Paul says earlier in 1 Timothy 3 that we, the church, are God's household. And I would argue that God has an expectation that we show compassion to each other as his family. And I know that we are already doing that in lots of different ways, through meals, through financial support, through encouraging notes, through prayer, through fixing things, through dog sitting, and it goes on and on. But it can be limited at times, and I believe that it's limited mainly by ourselves, by me. Not only am I sensing that God wants us to see, but also God wants us to be seen, particularly by our church family. So if this account in Luke 7 took place in Carrickfergus in 2023, this is how I think it would go. When the Lord saw her, his heart, heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. And the mother said, oh, I'm so sorry for crying. I'm just being silly. I'm fine. I don't want to put you to any trouble. Just you get on with what you were doing. I'm fine, honestly. Don't worry about me. I'll be grand. Oh, no, I don't need any prayer. He's just dead. Honestly, I'm fine. And I'm being flippant to make a point. But how often do we hide and minimize the parts of our life which need the compassion of God? The compassion he wants us to receive through us, his family, through others in our church. Let us decide when it's too much trouble. Let us be a compassionate people, activating our compassionate core by seeing you when you need compassion. Let us show you that you are valuable to God. Can we promise that we do that? Thank you. So Brene Brown says that good vulnerability is sharing your story with those who have earned the right to hear it. Who has earned the right in this church to hear your story? And will you let them show you that you are seen by God of compassion? And just a side note, two weeks ago, I read Acts 2, verse 42 to 47, about the early happenings of the foundational church. And as they shared their lives together, as they listened to the apostles' teaching, as they prayed and worshipped together, as they shared meals, they shared their possessions and money, as they gave to people who were in need, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
because of the love and compassion that God's people showed each other, the people outside wanted to come inside. Charity might begin at home, but it doesn't end there. God's household opens its doors wide. It builds an extension and keeps showing people that they are seen compassionately by God. Who does God want you to see? Who needs to know they are seen? Who needs to experience God's compassion that's right under your nose? Compassion begins with seeing with our eyes. And as I've said, the word saw in the original Greek also means to perceive. It goes deeper than just observing. We see fully, we understand. Luke highlights that the young man who died was a widow's only son. When Jesus looked at this woman, he not only saw with his eyes, he saw the impact of her situation. He understood that a woman with no husband or children in this culture meant a life of desperate poverty. In a culture where women had limited earning opportunities, he understood, particularly in her old age, life would be extremely difficult for her without family support and provision. When we understand a person and the impact of their situation, it, it activates our compassionate core. And over the summer, a man from our town had um, visited our church offices a couple of times, and Tom and I couldn't miss him. He was standing in front of us. And conversations with him were very confusing, and you had to persevere. And to tell you the truth, the first time, I didn't want to see him. I was in the middle of my to-do list. I had lots to do and knew there wasn't going to be a quick fix. He was looking for another organization, so I sent him round there. And after he left, God spoke the words, Good Samaritan, to me. Reminded me of the story about the priests, the ministers, the people of God who walked by and didn't help the man who had been attacked. Then it was the Samaritan, the one who was, who was least expected to help, that looked after the man. I suppose uh, I am supposed to be serving God, particularly in the area of compassion, and I'm trying not to see this man in front of me. And thankfully, God was compassionate to me, and he came back. So that time I saw him and took the time to understand. He's so confused because long-term addiction is destroying his brain and body, and he's struggling to look after himself in all areas of his life, his benefits, his electricity, his food, um, going to the doctor, and he has a limited support network due to being a foster care, in foster care as a child. And being compassionate means taking time to understand the person we are seeing. And that could mean having our plans interrupted and things not getting done. And a couple of weeks ago, I was trying to sort out the banners that go outside the town hall to say church is in here. And I ended up talking to somebody. And thankfully, this time I perceived that this person needed to be seen and understood. So the banners never got put up. Seeing will mean interruption. Isn't that why we put our head down and walk past to not see? Um, and we walk quickly by people we don't want to deal with. We know it's going to interrupt our day. 
And just this morning, uh, when I was coming along the road, I saw one of the guys that I know from the hotel who's claiming asylum walking along the road. And I, I just was like, oh, I've got to get to the prayer meeting. And I put down the window and I was like, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm going to the prayer meeting in our church. So he's been going to a, another local church. So I was like, right, okay, get in the car. It's not very nearby. So, But I drove him out of the way sometimes. It, um, seeing will also require a detour and to understand I believe that means we need to come close we can't truly see or understand from a distance verse 14 says then he walked over to the coffin Jesus got close to the source of pain and I've shared pre previously that compassion comes from the Latin which means to suffer with compassion is meant to be up close not at a distance and we can understand through reading statistics or articles or listening to podcasts or watching the news. Like I know if you're a male, live by yourself or over 50, you're at bigger risk of living in poverty. 20% of single person households in Northern Ireland experience poverty. I know that young people in care are four times more likely to misuse drugs and alcohol. But your understanding is limited until they are up close, until you're hearing someone's story and seeing the impact of them individually. We need to be, we need to see up close because I believe that will activate our compassionate core. And it's kind of ironic that in order for us to see, in order to understand, it actually requires us to use our ears as well. We need to hear from the person we are seeing we can look at someone and assume we understand, but we don't actually have a clue. And I love in Mark 10, when Jesus meets Bartimaeus, a man who was born without the ability to see, um, and instead of immediately wading in and healing him, he stops and asks, what do you want? Jesus didn't assume. He wanted to understand what the man felt that he needed. In our eagerness to help, in our determination to get things sorted or fixed, we can bypass fully understanding the person we are seeing and then only seeing them partially. We need to take the time to move closer, to ask questions, to listen, to ignore the distractions. And this will help us perceive, will help us understand and then act compassionately. So who do we need to move closer to? close enough to ask questions and listen to their answers. Compassion perceives, it understands the person we are seeing. And in Luke 7, verse 14 to 15, um, it says, Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus saw, he understood, and he looked after the widow by um, bringing back her son. Compassion looks after, it acts. Because of the feeling of compassion, that gut punch that we get, because we want to help, we can go from seeing with our eyes straight to looking after and bypassing that seeing to understand. And another um, book that I really loved, um, which was a hard read, but was good, it's called When Helping Hurts by these guys called Corbett and Fickert. And they discuss and give examples of the impact of forgetting to understand before we act. And a simple example is this, is 
um, if you see a hungry person, you give them food, but that food requires an oven to eat it, and they have neither. And our help in that situation is completely useless and could even harm that person if they try to eat it without heating the food first. And that's why so many food banks will check people's circumstances first before they give them food. Can you afford electricity? Do you have an open oven? Do you have a tin opener? Basic things like that. They're taking time to understand. And if we bypass that, our help could be worthless or limited. Or worse, it could do more harm by good. And Corbett and Fickard write, by focusing on the underlying issue, we are often hurting the very people we are trying to help. It's like if the doctor just kept on giving you paracetamol for a compound fracture, that would do you no good. You need to actually treat the problem in the first place. And we want to make sure our help is helping. And in order to do this, I believe that we look after with we look after with the person we are seeing, understanding what they would find helpful, not just assuming, being up close enough to see and ask them what they would, they would like. And we look after with God. If you watch ITV too, you could easily bankrupt yourself on all the wor worthy causes with the adverts pulling at our heartstrings. You can look out and see um, so much that needs God's compassion, but would quickly be overwhelmed by it all. And that's why we need to look after people with God. We take who we are seeing and where we are feeling compassionate to him first. John 5 verse 19, Jesus says to the disciples, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does, does also. He does only what he sees the father doing. Ask God what he wants to do with who you're seeing and what he wants your role to be in that. And we look after with others. Where possible, don't be a lone maverick. Um, where it's appropriate, involve other people, particularly when expertise is needed. For the example, the man I mentioned earlier, I couldn't help him with his benefit issues, so I tried to plug him into an organization that could. And I would love to follow up and um, visit him, but I know I can't do that on my own, and that probably I would need a man to go with me, um, and who would like to go and visit him with me. Hint, hint. Come talk to me at the end um, and we looked after with what's in our hands someone has given the church uh, a wee supply of Sainsbury's vouchers so I was able to give this man one of the, those vouchers to sort out his food issue and that gives him the dignity of choosing what he wants and um, it can be used multiple times so to tide him over um, for a bit and so we start there and then we see what else God wants to provide as we go. Because if we waited until everything we needed, we would never do anything. You know, you um, might not um, have a, a wonderful kitchen that you can do Jamie Oliver style meals, but could you provide someone with a cup of tea? Could you invite that elderly neighbor around with a cup of tea for a cup of tea? And our life groups are great at seeing each other in these, three w in these ways. And I have plenty of stories, quietly spoken, about how life groups have been places of compassion where you have looked after each other. 
And also each term, I encourage our life group leaders to talk to their group about looking outside of the group um, at who you can serve together. And great examples have been um, how you've seen different people in our wider community to show compassion to them from next door neighbors right up to an entire school year. I would love seeing, understanding, and acting compassionately to those outside of our life groups um, to be something we do automatically. So as you begin looking around and understanding, share it with your life groups. Consider how you can act together to show the compassion of God. And over the coming weeks and more, I'll also be taking time to share other ways that you can um, show the compassion of God to others. There's Acts 435, which supports people who are financially struggling. There's going um, with the McGuigans to Carrick Manor to lead worship there. There's coming along, inviting your friends to the living room um, to just hang out and combat a bit of loneliness. And I am only one pair of eyes. All as I can do is point and invite you to look at what I'm seeing. Hun 100 pairs of eyes are better than one. And I would love to hear about what you're seeing, small and big. And I would love to help you explore how to better understand and look after. So please do come and talk to me. I'm really excited about moving into... Um, Downshire, it's a very long name, Carrick Fergus Academy, Junior Side on the Downshire Road. Um, Downshire, I'm just going to call it for sh um, shortness. Um, and where this new area that God is leading us, um, and he's leading us there for a purpose. How does he want us to be a blessing to those who attend and work at the school and to those that live in the area? Begin to look around you as you go to church and ask God who he wants you to be seeing. And next Sunday, we're going to have a look together. There are 80 houses in the, around the very edge of the school, and we're going to meet the neighbours um, by giving them a card and some chocolate, mainly to say that we are not going to be parking in front of their houses. We are not going to be parking in front of their houses. We're going to park in the car park like very good boys and girls. But also um, to say that we want to be a good neighbour to them. Um, at one of the prayer meetings re recently when we were praying for this, somebody said the phrase, we're here for good. And I remember writing it up on the, the whiteboard, but I just felt that God said, like, not as in we're here forever, we're here to bring good, to bring the goodness of God. We want our presence in the school to be good for the area. And ultimately, want, we want those who don't already know Jesus um, to become his friends. If we only saw and understood, our compassion would be complete. But I believe it's natural as we do the first two that we will move into this third type of seeing, this acting, this looking after. We know um, we show compassion because we're designed to. We show compassion to let those who are unseen know that they are valu valuable and loved. We show compassion because that's what Jesus and our Father God do. But our compassion is ultimately about helping others see Jesus. Verses 16 to 7 in Luke 7 says, Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. 
and the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. The people didn't say some man came and did a kind thing for a widow. They didn't say, oh, isn't that lovely? They said, God has visited his people today. Ultimately, we want people to encounter God and to spread the word about Jesus. And in the past, some churches wouldn't feed the hungry, wouldn't look after them until they had first attended a gospel meeting or church service. Their compassion had conditions. Then I've seen Christians and churches go the opposite way and never mention Jesus at all. They could be any good-hearted person helping out. Their compassion hid Jesus. And we believe that ultimately people need Jesus. The widow in Luke 7 needed financial support. She needed a compassionate community around her. She needed emotional support in her grief. But for her to have the abundant life she was designed to live, she needed Jesus. And he brought life not just to her dead son, but to her as well. And I believe we don't do anyone any favors if we force people to look at Jesus. Neither does it help them if we hide him as well. Jesus wants to bring the fullness of life to each person. He wants to be seen. And band, if you want to come on up. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. As we see, as we understand, and as we look after the people God reveals to us, we should look for the opportunities to help them see Jesus, to give a reason when people ask why, why we don't ignore them like others do, why have we paid their gas bill, why have we invited them round for dinner, why would we come and visit them, why? Because God sees you, he loves you, and he wants you to live a life to the fullest. Can I tell you how Jesus saw me? understood me and looked after me. We are compassionate because he is compassionate. We see because he first saw us.